Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Healings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Healings Fund exists to provide business training and entrepreneurial learning to visual artists to turn working artists into thriving artists. Artists, take your art business to the next level even during the pandemic. Register for the Virtualize Your Art Career Conference October 19th through 30th. This multi-session virtual interactive learning accelerator enables artists to blueprint their career as opposed to just letting things happen or not, develop a winning sales strategy, craft a more effective brand narrative, and begin developing and leveraging a broad peer network as well-known artists do. The conference is delivered through live streaming video workshops and discussions. It's presented by seasoned business leaders who specialize in working with creative professionals, and you can register at clarkhealingsfund.org slash conference. Thanks to Jerry's Artorama for supporting CHF and this episode of the Thriving Artist Podcast. Jerry's passion is to serve artists. Visit www.jerrysartorama.com. We're back this time with Carolyn Edlin, the event and sales director at the Clark Healings Fund, picking up where we left off for part two of an episode that talks about virtualizing an art career. It's a particularly timely topic, uh, both because we're doing a conference, obviously, that we just mentioned, but also because at this time during the pandemic, virtualization, uh, going into the cloud, selling online, these are all hot button topics and people have a lot of need uh, for insight, information and help uh, surrounding it. So welcome to the show, Carolyn. It's great having you back. Thank you. Now, uh, I want to pick up where we left off last time and ask you about growing an art business, repeat sales and sales channels in a virtual environment. So is it overly ambitious for artists to try and grow, not just maintain their businesses right now? Or is there some sort of rare opportunity here? I think there are opportunities to really grow your business. And I've spoken to several artists lately who are making more sales than ever before. Now, how in the world is this happening? I'm sure you're thinking, what? <laughs> Who's doing that? And I think the artists who are making these sales have given some deep thought to how they are going to go virtual with their marketing and selling strategies. And they're going 100% in that direction using tools online that are helping them reach an audience who is actually very hungry to buy right now. Everybody's sitting at home, people are bored, they're shopping, and they are buying art. We know that's happening. We know there has been uh, an uptick in, in art sales. So the people that I see who are succeeding, when I get down into the weeds with them, like, what are you actually doing? It turns out that they've got systems built into their business that are very methodical for drawing an audience, introducing them to their work, kind of getting them with a hook, and then selling their work and then selling more work to them. So what they're doing is they're actually building a very sustainable business with repeat sales, which is what we want to do in any environment. But it is possible to do that during a pandemic. Now, Carolyn, what are some of the ways that artists can specifically drive repeat sales in a virtual environment? And I'm thinking about, you know, upselling, cross-selling, bundling, you know, consultative selling, et, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
how, how does one do that in virtual? Well, I think it's a matter of presenting art in, in certain groupings, for example. Let's talk about bundling. So if you were out in the marketplace, if, if I was out shopping and I went into a jewelry store, I might see a necklace and earrings that were a set. Well, that's a bundle because they make sense together. They match and I might want to buy them as a set. If I am a painter, I might be working on that, that series that uh, is closely connected to each other in a standard format. Say I'm doing some 12 by 12 inch paintings and with a coffee theme and I have four of them. Well, I've just made a set of four, which I could sell as a bundle. So how am I going to show that uh, in my booth? I'm going to hang them together. If I'm selling them virtually, they might be shown as a grouping in my shopping cart. And I may be showing them in an in-situ photo where they're literally shown in a room view so that the person considering the purchase will say, oh, gosh, that looks great in the kitchen. And of course, you need to buy all four of them. They're meant to be together. So that would be a bundle. Um, what about repeat sales? Well, it's similar to what you would do with any other customer. If I were to ship you something, let's say you uh, bought a scarf from me. I had hand-painted silk scarves and I, I mailed one to you and you're unpacking it, got the box open, and I've got uh, maybe even a little added extra in there. Maybe something, you know, it's just a, a little gift uh, and a coupon in there for free shipping on your next order and another coupon in there for you to give to a friend for them to get free shipping on their first order. So you can see how, I mean, there's absolutely methods of enticing people to buy more and to buy again if they love something or to refer you. And I love repeat sales because they're easier to make to existing customers they're the foundation for an ongoing business where you have existing sales that happen again and again. And part of that is leveraging the work that you sell. I absolutely talk about that when I teach sales strategies, and I'm going to be talking more about that in our conference. But are you leveraging your collectors by selling to them over and over? Are you leveraging your work by selling the next piece in a set? Um, so it's a way of thinking about what do I have that's going to appeal to people to want to keep them as customers and as eager customers who, who want to own more of my work. Yeah, I've actually experienced this. I've gotten um, art that I bought online where in, in one case, the artist followed up with me shortly thereafter and says, you know, I have another piece given that you like this. Um, here's something else that you might specifically like, and here's why. So instead of just a, oh, if you like this, buy this, you know, if you, if you like my bread, buy my soup, you know, instead, because <laughs> it's by me, there was a bit more personal attention to it, you know, sort of a narrative, uh, you know, I see you, you really dig this stuff. This is something that that's along those lines. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't very pressuring, but it, it was, it was excellent to get that. Um, then also I bought a, um, I bought something and the, the person included stuff in the envelope that sort of went beyond. And 
course, I got the usual collateral, you know, the the postcard, business card, all that stuff. Um, but I also got like a little gift that was, you know, an added value bit of the art. Um, and I think I did get a coupon. Uh, so all of that, you know, it's a nice touch. It's part of the art of online selling. And I see it, whether it's in crafts or or art or um, or even selling merchandise. I have bought, a, forget art, I've bought stuff on eBay where it's just like, you know, a, something for the car and the person has thrown in a little flashlight key ring or something. And that's that could be considered cheesy, but you know, you know what I mean? They're trying, they're making the effort. They didn't make the car part, you know? <laughs> so they're making the effort to uh, show value and, and they're making the effort to then bundle by showing me other things I might like that would go with that first thing, et cetera, might go in the same environment. And, uh, and they're making the attempt to get repeat sales. Carolyn, we know uh, some of these in-person sales channels that people may have been working on, especially if they took some of your previous sales strategy classes, are either not happening or limited right now. Uh, I'm guessing you know retail art is taking a, an enormous hit. And online selling, of course, we've talked about in the previous episode is is on a massive uptick. But what's happening in sales channels that sit astride the virtual and analog world, such as licensing, corporate art or wholesaling, where, you know, you don't have to be physically present always to make the sale, but it's also not 100 percent virtual. What's going on with those? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when you talk about retailing, well, live retailing is down because we don't have those live events, but selling online for the most part still is retailing. So that's where, you know, you've got retail as your chosen sales channel, and maybe you're substituting those virtual sales for the face-to-face. -face. So that's just another way of approaching it while staying, you know, in, in that lane that you've chosen. Now, uh, wholesaling, for example, is selling to stores outright. They're turning that merchandise over. Has that taken a hit? Sure. I think a lot of stores have closed. I think, unfortunately, many stores have closed permanently. We see this on a national level. You know, restaurant chains are going down, big chains of stores and well-known brands are no longer around. One thing that the small retailers are quite often doing is taking to the internet themselves and they've got their own virtual stores. So you may be continuing to, to sell wholesale to store owners who are selling on the internet. Now I would say this, given that we've got kind of an extraordinary situation, if I was wholesaling, and I used to wholesale, so I'm very familiar with this channel. If I had a wholesale relationship with a store and they were having problems and we talked about it and I understood, I would do things like trade out slow merchandise or perhaps reduce my minimum order uh, or maybe do some drop shipping for them because I want to support those partners that, you know, are helping my business survive. I'm helping their business survive. Um, you know, so I think we work together. Consignment is certainly another model and you'll see online galleries that are very busy attracting a ton of traffic. They're taking the place of those brick and mortar galleries in, you know, opening up, you know, their selling floor to people to come in and experience the art and buy there instead. So many brick and mortar galleries have also gone online. I do think that 
the physical galleries have been a little bit slower on the uptake with this because for years we've seen galleries that just don't have a great online presence and they've need needed to really boost that up and make that commitment to virtual sales. Um, if they're not doing it, they're not doing it. And of course, you've got the big, completely virtual online galleries like Saatchi Art and U Gallery and Zatista and other big, many, many uh, different online galleries. As far as the trades go, um, I think there's a challenge there. So for example, if you're selling into the corporate market, if you're depending on art consultants or perhaps interior designers, to sell your work into um, perhaps a, a business or a hotel that's under construction or being remodeled. A lot of hotels just aren't doing business right now, or they may be closed. People aren't going into their offices. I would imagine, you know, many landlords are losing their tenants who are in commercial spaces. And so that's a big challenge. I think there's been a challenge with corporate art over a number of years some of that has to do with the pandemic, but it also has to do with how offices are even designed. If they're in a large room, you know, you might not have individual offices. You've, you've got big open spaces. Well, where do you hang the art? The art might now be a, a huge mural that is in an entryway or so forth. So, uh, and licensing, it's the same thing. It just is going to depend on you know, how well are those customers doing? How are they able to re-engineer their own sales strategies? And are they able to continue buying or doing business with you through a licensing contract? You know, as a, as a side note, and by the way, I kind of think of that point that you made about uh, a lot of traditional galleries not being ready uh, to go online. You know, it's been a long time coming it's needed to happen for a long time. And so almost in the same way that we weren't ready, properly prepared for an epidemic uh, from a, a health and safety standpoint, we weren't ready uh, for a need to shift to uh, virtual all of a sudden. And this has kind of been a wake up call um, of, yeah, it's now or never. Um, so I, I wonder your background includes some time and greeting cards and as kind of a fun aside, I'm wondering how that part of the industry is doing right now. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I did work for an art publisher for years and we certainly sold posters and prints and, and greeting cards and journals and other paper products with art images on them. The greeting card industry is in the tank. Uh, you know, people are not walking into stores and those are traditional impulse items. And so people aren't going out to buy a birthday card. They don't feel that safe. I mean, they might be in the supermarket. They're buying a Hallmark card in, in an aisle. And so perhaps those large uh, companies, you know, uh, American Greetings, Carlton, Hallmark are, are doing okay, but the smaller alternative lines are not. So yeah, I think they're suffering. And so those companies need to find ways to regroup. Now, I will say this. Those are part of the wholesale market, and they are sold at large trade shows. Just noticed, and uh, I got an email the other day, that the Atlanta Gift Mart is open, and they've got an enormous facility in Atlanta, Georgia, many, many levels, showrooms, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of all types of different decor, giftware, wearables and so forth. 
and they're opening. So, you know, they want to be prepared for the future. And again, I think when things open, people will be out in force. Those companies need to simply hang on if they can, and they need to probably be flexible. They probably need to, you know, be willing to work with their customers in a way that can keep them all going. But yeah, it, it is a difficult market for sure. Okay, so for the second and last segment of this episode of the show, I want to ask you a little bit about the emotional side, some questions uh, about the, the emotional side of running an art business, because we're, we're talking about seismic changes. We're talking about the need to overhaul one's direction or at least to modify one's approach somewhat. And uh, it can be exciting. It can be stressful. Uh, but either one is is implying an emotional change. Um, so, you know, obviously part of the purpose of this show, we call it the Thriving Artist Podcast for a reason. We want artists to thrive. We want artists to thrive because of the importance of art and what art does to the world and because of the importance of artists' contributions and what artists can bring uh, to a world that is thriving with art. So um, when we talk about artists being empowered and we narrow that down less as a, a sort of sociological or class category of artists being empowered and we think about an individual artist do you have any thoughts or insights on what it takes for an individual artist to be empowered what that looks like wow you know my wish for every artist is that they would feel empowered i think that the way the market has evolved over the last, let's say, 20, 25 years is all to the empowerment of the individual artist. You know, we've seen other industries, and if we look at, for example, the movie industry, back in the day, the studios owned all the actors, and they would say, you're doing four movies this year, or I'm going to loan you out to Warner Brothers, and they would direct the career of the quote-unquote stable of actors that they would control. Nowadays, we see actors who are now directing. They have their own production companies. They have their you know, collaborations that they're doing. They are free. They are empowered. They can do the projects that they choose to do, and they're setting their own career paths. Visual artists are in much the same position, and it is not always emotionally easy to kind of step up and say, yeah, I'm going to be the CEO of my own art business. It might be your personality to say, gee, you know, I wish somebody else would just sell for me. But you're being forced, I think, in this day and age as an artist to realize that you have a certain amount of responsibility. You're the one who has to make the decisions, and that there is no one who can replace you in knowing what you want and to be able to tell your story the way that you can. So as we understand more about the concepts of a business, like what is your brand story? Why does it matter in the world? What is going to spark that conversation and have people going, oh my gosh, I've got to meet this person. What are your plans? What is the marketplace that you feel is right for you? Where does your work belong? And how are you going to approach those people and just rise up through your career? When you understand that, actually taking those difficult first steps is going to come back to you 
in an enormous amount of benefit and it's going to help you really run the career you want and help you thrive. I think that's where artists, you know, get that spark that's going to make the difference between being passive, allowing light to control you and thinking that you don't have control to taking control and doing it decisively and then working from that space to make a plan that is going to work for you and carry it out. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, one can want to be a carpenter or a woodworker and still be miserable in one's life simply saying, hey, I'm happy just doing this work. And then you go to work for a, a cabinetry shop that treats you like a commodity and, and you're, you're wholly dependent and you're doing the work that's supposed to make you happy, but you're not. And you're sort of differentiating here. You're sort of associating empowerment uh, for an individual artist with uh, the ability to independently choose the direction of their life or to blueprint and follow their own career path. Um, and you kind of hit those ingredients of, you know, of a career blueprint, the brand story, the sales strategy, the, the peer network, the action plan as sort of essential um, tools to be able to do that and to have the life you want and to achieve that, that sense of empowerment. It doesn't mean you, you can't work in a so-called stable of, of artists, uh, you know, and, and sort of not make the career that some other person wants, but it allows you to make the choice and, and to have control of the choice. So as I listen to this, um, you know, we're, we're having you on the show and we're getting this perspective because this is what you do. So one might fairly, even if you turn down the appellation, one might call you an expert. And, and so I want to bring up this sort of touchy topic, which is it might be fair to observe that an artist who is empowered doesn't need uh, an expert or advice. And yet here we are, you and I, not only chatting about the opportunities emerging in virtualizing an art career, but we're getting ready to lead a virtual art business conference um, about, and, and for those listening, clarkhealingsfund.org slash conference, <laughs> and about how exactly to do um, that very thing. So what's your take on artists following the advice of, quote, experts, unquote, either in the art business or in, in their business decisions? Should they be doing that? I would say that anyone in business can definitely benefit from experts whether they have something specifically that's useful to you or you just want to hear about the industry itself. You know, think of, of someone like a, a real estate agent. They could be in business for 20 years and yet they're still getting a training or a blog they're reading or a podcast they're listening to that's going to give them really interesting strategies about how to connect with their customers or help their sellers what's new in the industry, what are people talking about, what are the trends, and so you really need to stay up with it. It's part of what we call professional development. And you know, it, it's interesting, I just talked to one of our fellows the other day, and he's an extremely experienced artist who's gotten, you know, so much done, and I totally respect him, and yet he said, you know, I learned something the last time that we all talked and it, it just, it triggered something. I had a thought about how to do something in a new way. And so despite the fact that he's got, you know, as many years in the industry as I do, there was something for him in the conversation. I know for myself, I'm always learning, always researching. 
And speaking to artists is one of the best sources for me to learn what are people really doing? How are they handling this? What do they need? What are they looking for? What are the solutions that they found? So I think as a community, the exchange of information and expertise on all levels is just such a rich use, you know, of our time and support, uh, you know, for everyone else who's an artist. Now, Carolyn, to the point of being cliche, um, the changing roles of dealers and galleries is a topic that's trending everywhere. Every art business conference we've seen, every roundtable or panel talks about it in the major media and even on this show fairly consistently. And even to, in this episode, uh, we've talked about that to some degree or at least alluded to it. And you've been overheard, frankly, mentioning that you're seeing artists opening their own galleries. Can you tell us a little bit of what's that about? What what works about that? And uh, what, if anything, is changing in that power structure that artists should know about? Well, I, I think this harkens back to my previous answer about empowerment. So it may have been at a particular time in history that gallery owners owned the galleries and the dealers were the ones who were running those establishments and had the connections and making the sales. And the artists were the ones that produced the work. But now we're seeing artists stepping up into the shoes of a gallery. In fact, anyone who is self-directed, anyone who is selling online, in person, or wherever for themselves, you have stepped into the shoes of the gallery because you're making the sale to the collector. So just by virtue of the fact that we can run our own businesses and we don't depend on galleries to literally be in business, you know, that's a sign of the time, you know, that, that we can take that step. Uh, what I've noticed is that artists who open their own galleries come to that with a set of experiences that understands what other artists are going through so that they can speak to them frankly, understand, you know, all of the dynamics of being an artist. And there's, a, I think, a better relationship that can be had. Not that non-artists can't be outstanding gallery owners. And, you know, I don't mean to say that, but I think that it does help to have had uh, that experience and be on both sides of the fence. Well, are you seeing this beyond uh, the visual arts um, as a larger trend where people in creative industries sort of across the board are taking the reins and making uh, their own um, what traditionally has been controlled by somebody else, turning them into startups? I think, you know, we live in a gig economy. Everybody has more than one job. You can get online and, you know, open a business and build a website and open a business in a day. So anyone out there in any industry can become an entrepreneur in a, it's very easy to do. It's almost too easy. I mean, you could have a terrible website set up and you're losing money and you don't know what you're doing, but you still have a website. So it's taking up space on the internet. So, yeah, I think it's just the fact that tech has taken us to the place where anything is possible. Anyone can be an entrepreneur. People need to 
drive different streams of income and are encouraged to do it. I think it's actually a very good thing. Okay, so I have just a couple more questions for this episode. Let me ask you point blank uh, through CHF and Artsy Shark, you're in touch with hundreds of you know working artists who are succeeding right now, um, and uh, you have some sense of why. Um, so, is there a profile of the thriving artist right now? Wow, I I think artists can earn in so many different ways. So. That would depend. It, it is an individual type of decision and a model that you build for your own business. But let's just take a, a painter, for example, an acrylic painter who paints landscapes. And they have a wonderful style and their work is great and their work has soul. And they're putting together a really well-made website that beautifully presents their work they have carefully constructed the written content on their site to welcome the visitor in, to capture their email address so they can stay in touch. And then they have a clear way of leading the visitor through to making a purchase on the site. That would be an example of an artist you know, creating a way that people can buy from them that's very smooth, doesn't have a lot of friction, and they're also getting their name. They're going to reach back out to them through email. And, and they're continuing to rinse and repeat all the time, you know, improving their site, improving their communication. Um, a lot of artists that I see who are making sales, they put these systems into place that simply work. And it's not unique to art. You could be selling shoes and you could be doing a really good job of it because you understand the strategies of how to market and sell successfully online. It's really no different, but I think that art, I mean, at least in my mind, is very special. It's certainly, it, you can't equate it to a pair of sneakers. Art is something that people have that emotional connection to. An artist is a very special kind of person. Your creativity is so important in the world that in my mind, it's at a higher level and it's really treasured. Just like you know, you were talking about being a collector. You want to grab the art. You know, if you're running out of your home in a fire, you can grab the art you love because it's so important to you. So a couple of fun questions to close out the show. Um, I'm wanting to ask you about the CHF Virtualize Your Art Career Conference, which is coming up. Uh, and we're hoping, of course, that any artist or creative professional hearing this show will register at clarkhealingsfund.org slash conference and be there. I know you and I would both like to see them and uh, also to discover that they are a listener to this show. So my question is, what are you looking forward to about the upcoming conference? You know, is there a fun factor in doing a conference from home with no lanyard no hotel coffee, you know, et cetera, or, or is it something else for you? Well, you know, I, I love the interaction. I love the Q&A. I love to hear what artists have to say during a training session. You can log on and, and listen to webinars or trainings all over the Internet, and they might even be free, and it's big an interview, but you don't get to ask questions in real time, and you're not working on a plan to, you know, a series of presentations 
that's what we're going to be doing with practicing. The experience for the artist will be that they are personally involved, that they should be prepared to work. They should be motivated to work on their business, to discover things about their art and themselves, and to feel that they can come out of the conference with a viable plan that works for them and a roadmap to move forward. Okay, so that sort of answers also, or does it, what you hope would be the key takeaways for an artist who attends the conference? Or, or do you have more to say about the takeaways you, you think they should have? Yeah, the only other thing I would add is what would I really like to see an artist come away with? Confidence. I would like an artist, especially if they're having a difficult time, trying to decipher what to do in these you know, uh, times, this pandemic time, I'd like for them to understand that it is possible, that you can build a business, that it doesn't matter that this is a hard time because life will always have hard times. We will go in and out of recessions. There will be changes of all types. That's just part of the world. So can they be successful no matter what? Yes. And to understand that other artists are doing this, to feel the support of a community. You know, you brought up the emotional factor earlier. And I think that that is such an important part. When you know you can do it, when you know you've got your network of artists, you've got your back. And when you know that you can follow a plan that is solid and makes sense, then it gives you a starting point to just take that first step. You're right after the conference to start following that roadmap and start realizing your goals, working towards those objectives. And if you stay with it and you are consistent and persistent, then you will make sales and you will move your art business ahead. You've been listening to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Healings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Artists, register early to get your virtual seat at the Virtualize Your Art Career Conference October 19th through the 30th. It's $200 for 10-plus live streaming, workshops, vid chats, industry expert and artist interviews, and plenty of time to network and make important connections, as well as doing a deep dive into the topics that Carolyn touched on in this interview. This show depends on support from listeners like you. Consider giving to keep this show broadcasting and bringing you events and guests like this. Click Give at our website, ClarkHealingsFund.com. Org. And for those desiring to sponsor an episode, you can do that at clarkhealingsfund.org slash go slash sponsor. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Thanks again to Jerry's Artorama. And thank you, Carolyn. It's been really great having you. Thank you, Daniel. It's been a pleasure.